Hi, this is Pastor Rick. I always say the same thing. I love On Demand because I really do. Every time you get to open the Word of God up when you please, it's an exciting time. So here On Demand, you get to do that. So I hope you enjoy today's message as we talk about work and how to work. You know, you can work hard and you can work smart. That's what a boss told me one time. So let me show you how to work smart in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is going to be great. It's a double header, I call it. You're going to love this. It's a unique approach. So stay with us. It's going to really be a blessing to you. I'll be back to pray for you at the end of the message. Enjoy. Well, God bless you. Let's get to the Word of God. I got stuff to talk to you about today. We have a two-part thing we're going to do today. We want to talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament and what the Bible says about work. In our series, I have launched into a brand new discussion that I believe will help us understand the power of work. Now, your pastor is out doing the will of God today, and he's letting technology help him do that will. So I want you to join me in prayer, and let's get to it, shall we? Father, we thank you for the power of technology that allows us to be in more places than one. I thank you, Lord God, for the power of this tag team moment, because I'm going to share, Lord God, the first part of this message. I believe you have a word for your people. People are going to hear this all over the country, all over the world. And, Lord, I ask your blessing upon this time. I pray, God, that what we say will bring life and vitality and strength. And we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series today that has to do with work. I've been talking about how you cut a new path for your life. And if you want to cut a new path for your life, there are certain things you have to do. And one of them is you have to deal with your real issues. The real issues I've been talking about are really important issues. We talked about sexual issues. We talked about relationship issues. And now I'm talking about work issues. Believe it or not, for a lot of people, work issues are the issue. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you, but he can't because of the way you work. It's your approach to work. I am right now working, and I'm working through all the tools that God's put in my hand, technology. I'm working through all kinds of different avenues to reach people because I want to get the job done. Sometimes you have one way you want the job done, but God has more than one way. And so what I want to do is show you the power of work. And today, we specifically are going to talk about how you work. If you look with me and let me show you how the Bible says we should work. And I'm going to give you a New Testament example and an Old Testament example. I'm going to give you the Old Testament example. And then I'm going to have someone come and share with you the New Testament example. But look with me, if you would please, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. I want to begin by, first of all, reminding you of the series approach. There are, there are four things I'm going to say to you in this entire series. Number one, I want you to be clear about your work. That's what we talked about last week. I want you to be clear about what work looks like. If you know what you're supposed to do, it's a lot easier for God to bless you. If you don't know what you're supposed to do, it's hard. And I'm not just talking about working on a job, by the way. I'm not talking about just nine to five. I'm talking about how you work your life. Remember, I said success comes in pieces, but you've got to make sure you work the right pieces, and you've got to put the right pieces in the right places. Some people are sincere. They pray. They ask God for great things, but they don't work right. Their view of work, their view of church is one-dimensional. God only does it one way. God only does it this way, not that way. I prefer it this way, not that way. Well, I understand that, but sometimes you can't have it your way. And so we talked about being clear about work. Today, we talk about how you work. How you work. And, and, and I want to show you an example of how you're supposed to approach work. Thirdly, I want to show you, why this is really important, what you should be working toward. That's next week. There are some things you should not be working toward because it doesn't make sense. 
this effort, this, this, this investment does not, does not help you. And then the last week, I'm going to talk to you about who you should work with. So I want you to be clear about your work. I want you to know how to work. I want you to know what to work toward. And I want to show you who not to work with and who to work with. It's going to be an amazing series. And what it's going to do is help you focus on your life and say, am I working in a direction that God can use to bless me? Now, there are some people who believe that work is all about being busy. They think that if I'm out there running around doing a whole bunch of stuff and tired all the time and can't hardly breathe and laying down, wore out every night, that that's work. No, that's called fatigue. That's not necessarily good work. Good work should not kill you. Good work should advance you. And so a lot of people are busy working. A lot of pastors are busy. I mean, their schedules are stacked. They got appointments all day, all night. They never, they're never off. They never have time for their family. They never have time for themselves. They don't exercise. They don't eat right. They can't get a good meal because they're always running someplace. That is not good work. That is not how you should work. I want you to learn how to work so you can survive and last longer in your life. Now, I want to give you, if I can, an example. I thought it would always be great to go to the Bible and give you an example. Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to start there. And in Nehemiah, there's this incredible conversation between Nehemiah and the king. And it's really powerful because we're going to learn from Nehemiah five, five lessons. I call them five observations about the work life of Nehemiah. And these five things are amazing. They will help you look at your life and see do you know how to work? That's the goal. Do you really, really know how to work? And if you look at his life and how he worked, it's amazing. Now, he's a cupbearer, which is a pretty high position back then, very trusted position. He was a guy who worked with the king. He was close. He was in, in, lived in the palace. This is a guy who had a lot of position, and it was a, a very coveted position. Well, he hears in chapter 1 of Nehemiah that the, the hometown he's from, Jerusalem, all the walls are torn down. It's, it's a wreck. It, it's just been stomped by the armies. It's, it's a mess. People are, are scattered, and he cries, sobs. He's deeply saddened because those back home, imagine if you heard that your hometown where your cousins and your grandmama and your uncles and everybody was is all torn down. Their houses were all torn down. They were living out in the street. They were eating out of the trash cans. You'd be horrified. That's what he was. And so what he decides to do is he says, I'm going to go home and do something about it. But he can't. He's, he's, he's a slave, literally. He can't go anywhere. Even though he has this great position, he can't do anything about it. Have you ever been in that place where you can't do anything about it? You, you don't have any power. Well, Nehemiah goes to work in chapter 2, and he's sad. It shows. He's frustrated. He's sad. And the king notices it. So we pick up in chapter 2 and watch this conversation. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 2. Therefore the king said to me, Nehemiah said, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. You know, people can really tell where you really are if they look close enough, long enough. They can see you. And he looks and he sees this guy's depressed. He's frustrated. His whole, his whole kindness has changed. Obviously, this was not the normal him. And the king knew he wasn't sick. Now, what's amazing is the second thing I want you to notice is, is that Nehemiah becomes afraid. So the first thing I want you to notice, he's questioned. What's wrong? Secondly, I want you to notice that he is afraid. He should be. You know why? Because the king could kill him, could have him killed instantly. You didn't come in the king's presence with that kind of face. Notice what it said in chapter um, uh, 2, verse, verse uh, 2 there. It goes on to say, so I became dreadfully afraid, verse 3, 
and said to the king, may the king live forever. Now watch what he's doing. He's trying to fix things first. Hey, king, I, you know, I respect you. King, live forever. And then he goes on and says, why should my face not be sad? Watch how transparent he is. When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Man, I don't have any reason to be happy. He said, my whole house, my family, everybody that I've known, my roots are all destroyed. And he said, I want you to notice, this is a guy who's honest. He takes a chance. He's clear. It, it, it may not have been the safest thing to say, but it was the honest thing to say. I like Nehemiah. Let me say it again. It may not be the safest thing to say, but it's the honest thing to say. Then watch what he does. Watch the third thing about him. Number one, watch he was questioned by the king. Number two, he was afraid. Number three, watch this now, he was prepared. The king said, this is amazing, chapter 2, verse 4, the king said to me, Nehemiah's writing this, what do you request? Now you just think about that for a second. First of all, the king must have liked him. Second of all, he must have had a good work ethic. The king doesn't punish him. The king is concerned about it. He was, I believe, if you work hard and you do right, people will notice it. You'll get more privilege from being a great employee and doing your job and not worrying about what somebody's not doing and what you, the benefits you don't have. This is a guy who is asked by the king, what can I do for you? Which tells me that, number one, now watch this now, he's going to pray. I love this. I love this. Look at what he says. This is amazing. He said, what do you request? So he said, I prayed to the God of heaven. I love it. He says, excuse me, Father, help me, God. He, I, he has a quick prayer. I don't know what he said, but he says, God, I, I need your help right now. And then watch what happens, verse 5. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servants has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may build it. Now I want you to watch this. Here's the guy who's prepared. Here's a guy who on a moment's notice comes up with a response. This is not a lazy guy. This is not a guy who doesn't know what to do. He says, if I had the power, I would go myself. If you want to know what you can do for me, send me. He's prepared not only to respond but to go. Took a quick moment of prayer and jumped in the fight. I love it. Lord, give me a word, and then he jumped in. Is that you? So, so you're praying for God to do something for you, right? But, but please understand, it's kind of hard if you're not ready to go. Here's the guy who's ready to go now. Amazing. You want God to bless you, but you're not prepared. And what's really amazing is, and there are a few things I note in this story that I want to show you in a second here. Notice with me, number one, he prayed before he spoke. That's impressive. Watch that, okay? He didn't just speak. Number two, notice that he had a plan. Number three, notice he was willing to go. He didn't just ask to be sent. I mean, he didn't just ask to go, rather. He asked to be sent. Let me get this right. I want to go. I want to go. Send me. Let me go and fix this problem. Do you like to talk about a problem, or do you like to be a part of the working solution for the problem? You like to complain about the community, like to complain about this or that, but you're not willing to be involved in any of it. So please notice that he was willing to go, and then he was willing to build. I want to build the city back. And then he says, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And I love the king's response. This is so important because the king comes back to him and says, the king said, under number four in your notes, he says, on verse six, the king said to me, uh, to the queen, also sitting beside him, how long 
will this journey be? Now watch this. Nehemiah is going to prove something that can make a difference in your life. He's time conscious. Nehemiah said, he's, the Bible said, when, he, he, when will you return? That's the question the king asked him. And so it pleased the king to send him, and he said, I set a time. In other words, when the king asked him how long it would take, he didn't say, I don't know. He gave him a specific time. He said a number of days he'd be gone, then he'd be back. I love this guy. Here's a guy who knew how to work. Here's a guy who's absolutely amazing. He's in tune. He's not just asking for a free ride. He's saying, I'll, I'll be back, I promise. Then the last thing I want you to notice, this is the fifth thing I want you to notice. And if you're taking notes, you can see them. Number one, notice that Nehemiah was questioned. Number one, Nehemiah was afraid. Number two through three, Nehemiah was prepared. Number four, he was time conscious. And here's the last one. You're ready. Nehemiah was resource. He was, he was resource conscious, which means he cared about money. He cared about assets. He cared, he cared about supplies. He wasn't just spiritually excited. He had a practical balance in his life. A lot of people, and I hate to say a lot of sincere spiritual kind of people, and I say kind of on purpose, but they're kind of spiritual, and they, they don't care about resources. I'll need money, whatever, whatever. You, well, you can't do anything. If you don't have any money, you don't have people, you don't have volunteers, you don't have, sir, you don't have anything, you can't do much. Well, listen to this incredible dialogue here, starting at verse 7. Furthermore, the king, I said to the king, if it please the king, I need letters. Let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. He understood authority and boundaries. I can't just travel without you giving me permission. Verse 8, and letters to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which, which uh, pertain to the temple for the city wall. Watch this now. I need timber to build the city wall. And here's what I, I underlined for you in your notes. And for the house that I will occupy. There's two things I want you to notice. I need, I need timber to build the walls, and I'm going to need a place to stay when I get there. I need, I need a residence. So I need, I need you to give me supplies. And the king granted them according to the good hand of God upon, upon me, he said. He said, God's grace was on me. Then he said, verse 9, then the governors uh, and the region and everybody uh, came along and were excited except some other guys, which we won't talk about, three guys who didn't care about it. But notice with me, this is a guy who understood resources. He understood you got to have something. Now, I want to close with this because I think it's really important. There are five insights about the way Nehemiah worked that I want you to notice. Five, five insights. I've already said them, but I want to say it again. Before we get to the New Testament, I want you to hear this. He worked with an openness to discussion. It's the first thing I want you to notice. Somebody could question him, what's wrong? What's going on? And he responded. Didn't defend himself. He just told the truth. Can you be questioned? Can anybody ask you a question? Secondly, he worked with a healthy, fearful attitude. He knew he crossed the boundary by going to work with, with that sad face. He admitted it, and he was not happy with himself. He was afraid. He knew this was bad. Do you know when you're out of bounds? Do you know when you kind of crossed the line on your job or you've done something you shouldn't do or said something you shouldn't say or advised in a way you shouldn't have advised? Do you know where the lines are? He knew where the boundaries were and he knew he crossed them. But thirdly, watch this now. He worked with a prepared agenda. 
The guy had a plan. When asked what he would do, he had a plan. You go to your job and complain, but do you have a plan for them? For real? I mean a real plan, or is it just kind of like you like to complain? I love the fact that this is a guy who had a plan, a specific agenda. Here's what I want to do, King. Then fourthly, watch this. He worked within a, well, I love this. He, lo- he worked with a deep respect for time. <sighs> do, you, do you watch, do you check your time? I, I know Christian people just get on me, my nerves with this comment. Well, you know, let the Lord move until he finishes. As if God's slow. Why does it take so long? Sometimes church services are so long. It's like, why is it taking this long? You know why? Because we're, we're the ones. We're not time conscious. God is very time conscious. Your heart beats so many times a minute. There's a certain specific way your blood flows. Everything is time, timed. And when it's not timed, you got to go to the doctor and get it retimed. You take medicines to get your body back in sync. God's not a, against time restraints. I think for some of us, our problem is we don't have the same discipline that Nehemiah had. This is a very time conscious guy. And lastly, this is a guy who worked with awareness of resources. He's resource conscious. He's, he understands resources and money. He understands the importance of that. Let me ask you something. Just think about it. Do you really know how to work? Do you work this way? This is how Nehemiah approached work. I love, I love the way he thought about doing a job, fixing a problem, being a part of the solution. Are you a part of the solution? Are you able to contribute in a way that you can fix the world around you? Or do you just complain about it? Here's what I want us to learn to do. I want us to be clear about what our work is. Then I want us to know how to approach the work. Our church has an assignment from God. But we've got to be clear what that assignment is. We've got to be clear, watch this now, how to approach that work. And then lastly, we've got to be clear about what we're working toward. And that's what I'll talk about next week. I want to show you what we should be working toward and what we should not be working toward. I want to show you clearly in the Word that there are some things that you should be working toward. Some of you might ask, well, should I be working toward making more money, Pastor? Should I be working toward making, have, building a relationship, finding a husband, finding a mate? What should I be working toward? Well, next week I'll tell you more about that. But right now we're going to turn to the New Testament. I've got someone that's going to come along and show you the New Testament example. Beverly Davis is going to come along, and it's going to be amazing. Minister Beverly Davis is an amazing communicator. She has a tremendous history, a tremendous work ethic, and has this ability to explain work. Somebody who worked for years, retired worker, hard worker, mom, lost her husband, single parent life, married life, understands success, failure, understands it all, went back to school, got her degrees, and has worked her way up to be one of those professor college teaching people that makes a difference in the lives of hundreds of kids every year. And that's why I think she's qualified to come and do this part two on New Testament work. She's going to show you how to work in the New Testament. It's going to be amazing. Just a few more minutes. Hang with us. Enjoy. Minister Beverly Davis. Come on, Minister Bev. Teach the word. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble are going to hear about it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Come and let us exalt his name together. We're moving on in our series this morning. How do we cut a path, a new path in our lives? Uh, My task today is 
learning how to work. How do we work? What does that mean? What is it all about? I'm going to attempt this morning to tell you. I'm start this morning in the book of Matthew chapter 25 with the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to their ability. Then he went away. He had received five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So he also had two talents, made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his money. Our gifts, my first uh, point this morning is, our gifts and talents are given to us by God. He's like a man who went on a journey and he gave us gifts and talents. It is my belief that everybody has a chip for something. We all have a gift. Now, whether it's discovered or undiscovered, there's something that you want to do, you like to do. It feels good when you're doing it. Sometimes you need to look at it and say, is this my gift? Is this what's been given to me? Whatever talents we have, they've been given to us by God. Whatever thing it is that you like to do and you want to do, he's given it to you. It is God who gives us the power to get well. For many, many years, I worked on a job for 30 years that I really hated. Every minute. <laughs> you know a job that you own where I get off at 5 and, and, and 30 seconds before I'm watching the hand go up. Like in a, have I got, I got five more seconds and I can be out of here. When I was a little girl, my granddad observed me and he said, Beverly's going to be a teacher when she grows up. Well, guess what? Because of my own not knowing my gift and my own not educating myself and my own not, not investing in me, that's not the first path I took. The first path I took was that job because I needed money. And we live in America, and you need money to live in America. Well, today I teach. Today I get up in the morning, and I love what I do. Today, now that I've developed that gift in me, I love what I, it's not a problem to get up and go to work now. It's not a problem to stand there and try to figure out how can I get you to understand this. It's not a problem to me because the gift that God gave me that had been buried so far, so very, very long, now is made manifest in my life. Everybody has a gift for something. He gives us talent according to your ability. So what does that mean? You have to sometimes increase your ability. Here's the thing. I told you that my granddaddy recognized in me a gift as a child. But until I went to school and developed the gift, until I invested in me and developed that gift, it could not manifest in the earth. You may be a great architect, but you haven't gone to school. You just sit down and draw on a tablet all the time and make little houses and little things. According to your ability, God has given us all gifts. You can have the gift and not the skill. The gift and not the education to make it what it needs to be. Managing our gifts and our talents is part of how we work. I am responsible to increase my ability. 
God doesn't do that part for me. I am responsible to invest in myself. You see, he gave one five, and he went and made it more. He went and invested in it, invested in himself, invested in that gift, and it produced. We, God gives us seed. There's another parable that talks about seeds. And it produces more. But you have to invest in it. You have to take the time to find a way to make it work. You can do it through education and training. You can do it through reading. We have audio books now. You don't even really have to read. You can just pop it in the car and let it read to you. We have YouTube. I cannot tell you how many things I learn off YouTube. If it's something I don't know how to do, even a math problem, how do I do that? All I need is a visual. I'm a visual learner. All I need is a picture of it. Give me a picture I can mimic. Amen? You have to be diligent on the job that you have. If you are a person, here's what God looks at. You have to be a diligent worker. Here's how we work. If I'm the person who cleans the baseboards, I need to be an excellent baseball board cleaner. Y'all with me? If it's my job to carry somebody's coat, I need to carry it well. Sometimes we think jobs are so minimum and we think they're so, so, so not important that we don't do them with excellence. But God is watching you. If you be faithful in a few things, he said, I'll make you rule over many. many. I thought of an example this morning. I have a friend who has a son who is one of the prim, prim, premier real estate people in this city. Do you know how he got into real estate? He was cleaning the real estate offices, and somebody noticed how he worked. And because he was excellent as a cleaner, one of the real estate agent uh, brokers picked him up and taught him how to do this. God is watching you. Invest in what you have. Be diligent as you work. This is how you get to have more. To, one, to, to whom uh, much is given, much is required, but don't despise a small beginning. It might not feel like much, but you might be on the road to your great, great gift. Amen? Success is a byproduct of investing. The parable tells us how each one reproduced. Colossians 3 and 23 says, Whatever you do, work with it and with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans. Since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is Christ. It is Christ. Every classroom you walk in, it is Christ. If you make airplanes, it is Christ. If you clean houses, it is Christ you are serving. How does that come into play? Because I'm the light of the world. A city set on a hill. My life should be a reflection of him. My work should be a reflection of him. Amen? Sharpen your work ethic. Set pro proper priorities. Priorities be on time. That's a good one, right? Be on time. A good work ethic leads a person to feel a personal responsibility for work. 
which further connects him to work and encourages him to produce quality results. When you have a good work ethic, you do your job to excellence. When you have a good work ethic, it doesn't matter what you do. I worked at the church for a while in the office, and Miss Bishop said to me one day, I could tell you were gone because your desk was clear. In other words, when you work a certain way, you have a desk with stuff stacked up and you're saying, I know where everything is. <laughs> I beg to differ with you. You're going to have to flip through all that stuff to find what you're looking for. I know where everything is. It, on one hand, you may very well know. On the other hand, when your boss passed by the door and see that big mess, they're not going to believe you. Work with excellence. Work so that you can tell when I leave. You can tell when I leave because whatever I'm working on has been put away. And put in a way where, uh, as they used to say at Bell South, if you die tonight, tomorrow, somebody can come in and find it. Amen? Amen. Watch your influencers. I do not hang with the gossipers on the job. They're in the break room talking about everybody. You need to take your sandwich and go somewhere else. You need to go somewhere else because here's the thing. Yeah, I, I, I deal with people who will say things like, I know the job better than her, but she got the promotion. Well, I can teach her what I want her to know, but I can't fix your attitude. You can sit in there and let people influence you, and people like to say, if I was you, well, you're not. And I don't work like that. I carry the spirit of the king in me. I'm a spirit, I have a spirit of peace and love and joy. I have a spirit that I'm easy to deal with. I have a spirit that I don't, I'm not the rabble-rouser now. I can't tell you before I found Christ, I wasn't quite a little rabble-rouser myself. But right now, with Jesus on the inside, it should show in your behavior. It should show. I don't go anywhere in a crowd. Let's go tell the boss, no, no. I tell him what I want him to know, because I know when to shut up. Somebody say amen. Mm-hmm. You should work like God is your boss. Realize that your ultimate purpose for work is that God be glorified in you. Your ultimate purpose for work is that you are blameless and harmless. You're not the one everybody's looking at saying she's the one. If we get rid of her, it'd be a better office. You receive your inheritance from the Lord. God gives promotions. Did you know that? God gives you favor with people. God will let a light shine on you. Once you get it all, pull all of these little pieces together, he'll let a light shine on you. And when he lets that light shine on you, people will find favor with you and say, I need to, I need to promote her. Let me groom her for this job. It could be something you're not even qualified for. They'll groom you and make you ready. Your work it should be an expression of your love for Christ. As we move on in the scripture, I'm about to come to a close. He gave them talent according to their ability. So he gave you a talent to clean houses. You, if you work that talent right, you can open a cleaning business. Amen? Don't, don't, don't think it's a small thing. He gave you a talent to drive. Then you can get a car. 
He won't give you the car if you can't drive. Did you know that? You ask him for something you can't handle. He's not going to give you the million dollars if you can't handle 25. Amen? Amen. He gave the gift of compassion to some. So if you develop that gift and educate yourself, you become a, a medical professional. Amen? So that is how God gives us gifts according to our ability. So one of the things you have to do is recognize the gift in you and develop it so that you can have the ultimate. If, if, if when, the, when the king came back, when the, in the scripture, when the man came back from his journey, uh, he said, he, he talked to each one of the servants. I gave you a gift to teach. What have you done? You can stand and say, well, Lord, I went to school and now I have a job teaching. I've touched this many lives. He gave you a gift to clean houses. So what did you do with it? Well, God, I, I started my own cleaning business. All I needed was a mop in the bucket. That's all I needed. And I went, and I make a living at that. That's what God is talking about. I gave you something. Did you bury it today? That's my question for you. What have you buried that you need to dig up? My grandmama gave me some advice in my closing. She said, whatever job you get, you work, you master your area. Whatever they gave you to do, master it. And she said, you work so that when you are off, everybody want to know where you are because you're important to them. Amen? Come on and stand on your feet today. Father, we thank you for being such an awesome God. We thank you, Lord, that you would reason with us from your word. We thank you today, Lord, God, that the word is going to go into our hearts and bring forth fruit. I ask today in the name of Jesus that you anoint your people afresh. God, that they might go out of this place and work with excellence, Lord. Doing work, God, that reflects you and who you are in all of your glory. Today, we thank you for the inspiration. We thank you for the unction. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Now today with every head bowed and every eye closed in the house today, I'm going to ask, is anybody in here today who does not know Jesus as your personal Savior? The doors are open today. Heaven is watching to see, will it be today that you'll give your life to Christ? If you're in the house today and you want us to pray with you, we're not going to call you out. I just need you to lift your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. Would you lift your hand today? Thank you. I see one. I see two. Thank you, Jesus. Christ makes a difference in our lives. It is, I see another hand. Thank you, Jesus. It is God who gives us the gifts to become what he called us to be. His grace is extended this morning. And today we pray in the name of Jesus, Father, for every hand lifted, God, that you would take their lives, that you would come alive in their spirit, God. Lord, that you would anoint them with an anointing, God, that will let your light shine through their lives. Show them how. Show them where to go. Show them how to do it. Thank you for strengthening them where they need strength. Thank you, Lord, for lifting them where they need to be lifted. And we praise you evermore in Christ Jesus' name. People of God, say amen.
Why don't you lift your head and put your hands together and give Jesus a praise offering? Well, I pray you are blessed on demand with me. I love when you join me on demand and we get to study the Word of God together. I hope you enjoyed the doubleheader today. A little bit unique, but different, but I hope it helped you. So let's pray together, shall we? Father, I pray for those who watched today, who took out their time on demand to study with me today. I pray that the Word of God has come alive and that they have been blessed by both of us today. Uh, the speakers who touched their lives, may they take the message and apply it to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, I'll see you next time right here on demand. We've got more to tell you next week. It's going to be amazing. I want to show you how to work and what you should work toward. It's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.